If you want to do something well, uh, could be something like soccer or writing or painting or whatever, you must watch and listen to people who do it well and even to the people who do it poorly. You learn a lot from both. Isn't it true in regards to the things that you have learned to do well? My point is watching and listening, even imitating, can go a long way towards success. Now, last week's sermon likely got you asking questions about how to properly observe the Sabbath. And I think that's good. I think we should be asking questions. We, we should carefully consider how to keep the Lord's Day for our greatest good. The Sabbath is controversial, though. Uh, it's a big topic that requires careful uh, study and thinking and discussion if the Sabbath is going to be a delight for you and me. But I think this one principle will serve uh, us really well when thinking about how to keep the Sabbath. We must watch how Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, kept the Sabbath and listen to what he said about it. As many questions as we might have I think we're in a good spot when we want to keep the Sabbath holy and when we're taking our cues from Jesus on how to keep the Sabbath holy and how to be most blessed by it. Once again, looking to Jesus is the key to knowledge and faithfulness. Just a little bit of review. Last week, we unpacked several key points about the Sabbath from the text. The kindness of Jesus on the Sabbath how Jesus' presence and provision were a great blessing and are a great blessing for his disciples. The burden of legalism on the Sabbath. How the Pharisees missed the point of the Sabbath and added ridiculous laws and restrictions to it, making it a burden instead of a delight. The heart of observing, observing the Sabbath, which is a deep desire to worship God and serve our neighbor. A heart the Pharisees did not have, but a heart that Jesus did. And the supremacy of Christ over the Sabbath as Lord of the Sabbath and our prophet, priest, and king who kindly refreshes us with his presence and gift of rest in him. And the main point last week was that Jesus kindly refreshes us with his presence and gift of rest in him. And we saw that playing out with his disciples on the Sabbath in the grain field. The theme of last week and really the theme of this week as well is finding utmost rest and refreshment in Christ himself. He is with us and gives us the blessing of rest when we come to him for it. Again, Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For the Lord's day to be a maximal blessing for you and me, we must come to Jesus on the Lord's day, expecting him to keep his promise to give us rest for our souls. We must observe this weekly and holy vacation with God's family in a way that maximizes our rest and refreshment in Christ. It's, it's like planning out a vacation so that you make the most of it when you're there, so that you can hit all of the best spots. Today, I, I wanna focus on how Jesus kept the Sabbath. 
so that we can see his heart and his supremacy as the Lord of the Sabbath. If, if we see his heart and we see his supremacy, watching and listening to him should compel us to come to him more diligently and expectantly for rest. And I'm hoping that God uses this message to encourage you to avoid both legalism and libertinism while devoting yourselves to keeping the Lord's day more faithfully to find more rest and refreshment for your soul, to love each other more deeply. You see, we need the Lord's day. So our Father has given us the Lord's day to meet our need. So let's observe Jesus to see what we can learn. Number one, on the Sabbath, Jesus regularly attended public worship for the good of God's people. Verse nine, he went on from there and entered their synagogue. Well, it's still the Sabbath. Matthew transitions us from the grain field to the synagogue. Synagogues were located in Jewish communities throughout Palestine and beyond. And the Greek word for synagogue means a gathering together. A gathering together. Synagogues were houses of worship where God's covenant people, including children, gathered together on the Sabbath to pray, to hear scriptures read, and sermons preached to worship God together. Throughout his life, Jesus regularly attended synagogue worship with God's people. Luke 14, 16 says, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. Jesus went to church, in other words. See, when God's law says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, Jesus fulfilled that law perfectly. He remembered the Sabbath day. He kept the Sabbath day. He was blessed by the Sabbath day. He diligently attended the synagogue with believers on the Sabbath day. The word of God incarnate, God in human flesh, attended public worship with his people to be a blessing to them to bring them rest and refreshment through his presence, teaching, preaching, healing, through his ministry. Why is the Sabbath a blessing? Because God comes to his people and communes with them for their good as they gather to worship God together. And brothers and sisters, the Sabbath will be a delight to you as well. The Lord will be a delight to you when you delight in going into God's presence with God's people to commune with the triune God. What is the Sabbath for you? Just something that you've always done, kind of always gotten up and gone to church? A, a day to get caught up on all of your work? or to binge watch sports and TV? What is the Sabbath for you? When the children of God gather to commune with their triune God, God serves them in a special and a powerful way. He comes and communes with them to kindly give them his good gifts, including rest and refreshment for their souls. Jesus, speaking now of his divine nature and presence, continues to come and meet with his people every Lord's Day. They must come to him for rest. Is going into God's presence with God's people, would you say that it is the highlight of your week? Jesus kept the Sabbath by going to public worship and blessing God's people. We must go with him to worship 
in order to receive blessings through the ministry that he provides. So let's come to Jesus diligently. Let's come to him expectantly. The next point continues this thought. Number two, on the Sabbath, Jesus taught God's authoritative truth for the good of God's people. Jesus is the message of God. Jesus not only went to public worship in the synagogue, he went and read the scriptures and taught the people the scriptures. His teaching and preaching were the authoritative word of God. Jesus even healed people and cast out demons in the synagogue, which also reveal his divine identity and authority. Matthew 4.23 and 9.35 tell us that Jesus went throughout all Galilee and all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. God incarnate going to his people and teaching and preaching the gospel of the kingdom for their eternal rest and refreshment. And this tells us something significant about the Lord's Day. God truly serves us on the Lord's Day through his gift of gospel preaching. One of the biggest blessings in all the world is the word of Christ publicly proclaimed, preached to God's people on the Sabbath. You see, we identify with the Lord Jesus Christ when we separate ourselves from the world to assemble to hear God speak because we actually believe he is speaking. In John 18, 20, Jesus told the high priest who questioned him, I have spoke openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Jesus was a public, unashamed preacher of the gospel. His presence and his ministry communicated his supremacy and his love for God and his love for God's people and as you read through the New Testament, who do, do you see being blessed most? Isn't it those who come to Jesus in true faith? Aren't they blessed the most? In Luke's account of this same event, it says, on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. He was teaching. Matthew says, verse 10, if you would look at it, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. The Pharisees asked Jesus a theological question in the synagogue on the Sabbath, but not to receive the truth by faith. Rather, they asked the theological question to accuse Jesus, to charge Jesus with wrongdoing, and to ultimately destroy Jesus. You see, they noticed a man with a withered hand had come into the synagogue to worship God, and they knew Jesus' ability and his willingness to heal. And they got to thinking, that guy has a withered hand. Now wait, is he gonna, ah, this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity. If Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath, He'll be working and breaking the Sabbath. Let's get him. Let's get him on this. Again, 
they're operating by rabbinical traditions more than God's law. So their theological question was actually laced with accusation. And how two-faced. They were there taking issue with whether Jesus will work on the Sabbath when they are obviously unconcerned about keeping the Sabbath themselves. They weren't focused on God or his people or love. They were plotting accusations and murder. They might have been present in public worship, but how far they were from God. They were whitewashed tombs where there was no spiritual life. And so Jesus addressed their malicious theological question in order to teach, to teach something about the heart of worship. Verse 11, he said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Brilliant. He is always brilliant. He knows what to say. He asks a provocative question. Now, a little background on Jesus' question. God commanded Israel to cease their servile labor on the Sabbath and to rest. That God-sanctioned cessation of work was a great gift to his people. But God also commanded this in Exodus 23, 4, and 5. Please listen to this carefully. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. Then Deuteronomy 22, 1 through 4. You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and ignore them. You shall take them back to your brother. And if he does not live near you and you do not uh, know who he is, you shall bring it home to your house. And it shall stay with you until your brother seeks it. Then you shall restore it to him. And you shall do the same with his donkey or with his garment or with anything uh, any lost thing of your brother's, which he loses and you find. You may not ignore it. You shall not see your brother's donkey or his ox fallen down by the way and ignore them. You shall help him to lift them up again. And the point of those laws was love for your neighbor. The law promotes seeing the hardship of your neighbor and their beast and having compassion and kindly helping your neighbor and their beast. Love is the point of the law. Sheep sometimes get out on the Sabbath. Donkeys, they sometimes fall down on the Sabbath. Helping them up is the true spirit of the law. Now, the Pharisees were familiar with these laws. Of course, God commanded the Sabbath to be kept holy but not at the expense of your neighbor's good, even the good of your neighbor's beast. So if the sheep goes a-running and the donkey takes a dive, even if it's on the Sabbath, God desires mercy and compassion and love expressed in helping your neighbor and their beast in their adversity. And this tells us a lot about the Sabbath. And Jesus personalized it. He didn't talk about their enemy's animal, he didn't even talk about their fellow Jews' animal. He talked about their animal. Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? They would absolutely give their own beast compassion on the Sabbath and consider it perfectly justified and worthy. 
But here they were accusing Jesus of exercising compassion for a human being on the Sabbath. Jesus' question is really an indictment, a charge against them, a criticism of their hearts. He exposed their self-righteousness, self-interest, and lack of sympathy. He exposed what they wanted to keep hidden, their calloused, self-interested hearts, which had no interest in loving God or loving their neighbor. Their Sabbath observance was a spectacle of self-righteousness. They really didn't get the Sabbath. They really didn't get the law. They really didn't get the gospel of the kingdom, for that matter, The Pharisees were hard fellows enslaved by self-righteousness and loveless religion. Jesus argued from the lesser to the greater, look at verse 12, of how much more value is a man than a sheep. In other words, if it is good to show mercy and compassion to beasts on the Sabbath, how much more is it good to show mercy and compassion to human beings He got them. Where were they going to go with that? His logic should have led them to acknowledge their heartlessness, to repent, and to come to him for rest for their souls. Folks, they obviously had afflicted souls. They weren't doing okay. But no, enslaved to sin, they plotted murder instead of coming to Christ for rest. One study note said, legalists of all eras put obedience to rules above love for people. In extreme instances, this misguided passion leads to murderous rage, unquote. And folks, the same is true of libertinism. Freedom from any laws is such a high value that they hate whatever smacks of law or regulations, so they too get very angry, maybe even become violent when God's law conflicts with their libertine freedom. Jesus was exactly right. The Sabbath, it's not just simply about getting together for worship, it's even more. It's also for doing good. Now, I, I want to digress for a bit because I think this point is so needed today. Human beings are made in the image of God. Animals are not. Therefore, animals are of much less value than human beings. The Bible clearly teaches this. Jesus himself said to of his disciples that they were of more value than all the birds of the air. And many people are simply confused about this today. They just don't get it. And their confusion leads them to some very bizarre things. Some people love their pets more than they love their fellow human beings. When God is ignored and rejected, values and morals become irrational. PETA, or People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, is a godless organization. On PETA's website, below a picture of a gorilla is the word people and the phrase, I am you, only different. Then below a picture of a monkey stretching its arms out through a fence is the word ethical with the phrase, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. What a twisted 
application of God's word. Under a picture of an elephant is the word treatment and this phrase, animals are not ours to experiment on, eat, wear, use for entertainment, or abuse in any way. Now let me be quick to say this, that true abuse of animals is sinful. It is not obeying God and good stewardship. True abuse of animals. But Peter clearly denies God's word. God has given us dominion over the animals to steward them well and to use for our benefit. What would Peter say about God establishing the sacrificial system for Israel to foreshadow the Lord Jesus Christ himself? It was the Lord Jesus Christ who told Peter, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Love that verse. And then there's a picture of a sad cow, a really sad, pathetic-looking cow. And below is the word animals with the startling phrase, we are all animals. No, we are human beings made in the image of God. We are quite different from animals. Godlessness leads to abnormal morality. Human beings are of much greater value than sheep or any other animal, and so it is right for Jesus to conclude, so it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. The Sabbath would be a greater delight for you and me, brothers and sisters, if we thought less about what we want to do and more about how we can love and serve others. Doing good promotes rest. Maybe this illustration will help you. Should a mechanic work on cars on the Lord's Day? No, I don't think he should. He should stop his regular work and delight in the weekly Sabbath vacation that his good God gives him for his good and for his rest. He should also encourage his employees to do the same. Rest is good for us, a good gift from God. But let's say that after corporate worship and a delightful Sunday lunch with his family, the mechanic notices a woman and her little girl standing by a broken down car. What should he do? What what should he do? He should joyfully go out and help them get their car running. In that unique moment, he would be honoring and keeping the Sabbath, even if it took him four to five hours to fix the car. Now, Brothers and sisters, I'm quite aware of the tension. I know what I'm preaching here. And I know where um, this can tend to lead us in our thought process, and, and so I'm quite aware of the temptation to preoccupy ourselves with what is and what is not okay to do on the Sabbath, and quite frankly, I think we can go too far with that thought process and miss the point entirely. And that's why I and perhaps you have often missed the blessing of the Sabbath. We should question what is and what is not good for us to do on the Sabbath. We should think it all through carefully, but above all, we should desire God's best for the Sabbath. And we should not be somehow seeking for these loopholes to justify us doing whatever we want. What is our greatest concern for this day? Are we thinking most about how to receive the word of Christ on the Sabbath? 
Are, are we most concerned about coming to Christ for rest on the Sabbath? Is it our primary focus to worship God with our brothers and sisters in Christ and to find ways to connect with them and love them and serve them and deepen our relationship with them? And folks, we are all really hungry for deep relationships. We are, and in some cases you could say we're aching for deep relationships. And yet it's easy for us to neglect the opportunity of the Lord's Day to deepen the most significant relationships in our lives, our relationship with God and our relationship with the people of God. If we keep the Sabbath with our eyes toward our Father's provision of grace for us on the Sabbath, if we prioritize the church, our lives will be enriched, our relationships will deepen, and God will bless us, he promises to. Now, what did the baby Christians do in Acts 2 right after they were converted? And I find this really interesting. This is like the basics of Christianity. Baby Christians just got saved, they're, they're brand new, and what do they do? Acts 2, 40, 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. In other words, they devoted themselves to the church. That's basic. That's like first steps, baby steps. Now, do you agree with Jesus' approach? Is the Sabbath for you an opportunity to be with Jesus, to learn from him and to love and to serve his people? Take my yoke upon you and what did he say? Learn from me and you will find rest for your souls. He knows how to teach us how to find rest. Jesus is still doing good to his people every Sabbath or Lord's Day through the word and sacraments ministry and the fellowship and accountability of local churches. He's still loving and serving his people. Number three, on the Sabbath, Jesus did restorative works for the good of God's people. Luke tells us that Jesus knew their thoughts. Mark says that Jesus looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Jesus is the very embodiment of compassion and love. The Pharisees were filled with indifference and hatred and that indifference and that hatred roused righteous indignation and grief within Jesus you have to understand what angers Jesus hardness of heart angers Jesus Jesus gets angry when people are spiritually unconscious when people are hypocritical, when self-righteous people are not moved by the grace and glory of God and are not moved with compassion toward afflicted human beings. William Hendrickson said, do they fail to realize that their own wicked motivation is the grossest Sabbath desecration of all? A sin so damning that in the sight of the Almighty it constitutes a most grievous charge against them, unquote. Jesus was right to say, and if you had known what it means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. They didn't know what that meant because of their spiritual unconsciousness. So Jesus, he did good 
on the Sabbath. Verse 13, then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out. And it was restored. Healthy like the other. Whoa. That's amazing. That's amazing. Was Jesus working on the Sabbath? Well, not in any way that profaned the Sabbath. His work was the restorative work of God, the restorative work of the Messiah, the restorative work of the great king. The king was restoring what had been corrupted by the fall. The poor man's hand was withered. His his disability impacted every area of his life. He couldn't altogether work with that hand, couldn't properly embrace loved ones with that hand, He likely felt self-conscious, maybe even ashamed of his hand. He was disabled, restricted, hindered, and Jesus restored his hand. What grace for that man on the Sabbath, from Jesus the Lord of the Sabbath. That restorative work communicated to the people in the synagogue on that Sabbath day, at least this, one of these is not like the others. Jesus gave them all a lavish gift on that Sabbath day. He revealed his glory to them. He showed them divine compassion, supremacy, wisdom, power, and he gave them a taste of the kingdom of God. He showed them that he alone reverses the curse of the fall. This miracle shows that Jesus Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath, takes distorted, grotesque, deformed, defaced, twisted, and disfigured things, and he restores them. He was, in effect, telling them that day, Behold, I am making all things new. What hope? Adam and Eve's sin and rebellion against God threw the entire universe into chaos. And it's not that the man's hand was withered because of some specific sin that he had done and God was getting him back but rather his disability was the result of sin in paradise, a result of the corruption of creation because of sin. Sin distorts things. Sin sin disfigures everything. When God's anointed prophet, priest, and king restored the man's hand, it gave the onlookers a glimpse into the grandeur and goodness of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ. It was truly at hand. This is what Matthew is trying to show us. And the logical connection is that if Jesus can restore a a man's withered hand, he can also restore your withered soul from afflicted to rested. By his power and his grace, he takes your distorted, grotesque, deformed, defaced, twisted, and disfigured soul and makes it new, people of God, restores it, heals it. He will even redeem your body at the resurrection so that one day you may be completely restored, completely whole, and can rest in God's presence forever. He is doing that in you, beloved. So then let us do good on the Sabbath. Let us do as Jesus taught, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Number four, on the Sabbath, Jesus revealed his messianic identity, power, and authority in his good works for the good of God's people. 
Brothers and sisters, something greater than the temple is truly here. What Jesus did on the Sabbath in the synagogue on that day many years ago tells us a lot. It tells us who God is. It tells us what God is like, what God is capable of, what God's agenda is, what his intent is for the Sabbath. When, when that man stretched out his restored and healthy hand, it confirmed the identity, authority, and power of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed high priest, and it gave the assurance of his promise, come to me and I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. This miracle foreshadows what Jesus says later in Matthew 20, 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So when your body aches, when your soul aches, go to the Lord of the Sabbath because he is ready and able to help you, to give you rest, to serve you. We have withered bodies in our own way. We have withered souls in our own way. Do we believe that God is restoring us, healing us, making us new by his compassion, grace, and power? Do we believe that Jesus is working good things in us? Do we believe that the Sabbath is a good gift unto this great good end? Let Christ's power and authority and wisdom and compassion and love build confidence in you that the kingdom has come, that the kingdom is coming to bring you complete restoration, rest and refreshment in God, eternal restoration, eternal rest, eternal refreshment are coming at the return of our Lord and our King, the Sabbath Brothers and sisters, is a taste of that eternal rest. We rest in Christ now, and we will rest in Christ fully then. One of my favorite hip-hop songs spits these lyrics. The wilderness bride of Christ is his beautiful church, united and blessed in him through his sufferings and works. He traversed the distance. He lavishes, gives us his grace for this pilgrimage, and he's promised to give us Rest at the end of our journey. We long and we're yearning. We groan with the rest of creation. This tent is a burden. Death, it will murder us, but the Lord is preserving us. He'll raise our bodies and give us rest when the journey's up. What does the weekly Sabbath rest foreshadow for you but our eternal rest in the presence of God? This is Hebrews 3 and 4. So I want you to listen, oh weary wilderness wanderers, in true faith, look to Christ, who is the greater Moses. In true faith, look to Christ, who is the greater Joshua, the preeminent deliverer, and trust that he is working restoration and rest in you now to lead you to the promised land of eternal rest in the presence of God. Are our time and attention on the Lord's day given most to the promised land of the end zone? Or the promised land of our eternal rest in God? Number five. On the Sabbath, Jesus is calling you and me, all of his people, to delight in the Sabbath. Rest from your evil works 
and do good for the good of God's people. You see, the Pharisees laid burdens on the people and they carried some heavy ones themselves. Verse 14 says, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. And Luke tells us that they were filled with fury. What hypocrisy! They accused the Lord of the Sabbath for breaking the Sabbath because with unparalleled compassion he healed a man's withered hand, yet they truly break the Sabbath and actively rebel against God because with much self-righteous fury they conspired to kill a man. So brothers and sisters, what does God desire for us on the Sabbath? I know this is a tough question to think through. I've been thinking through it for years, wondering asking questions, doing good things, doing bad things. So, so what does God require of us on the Lord's day? I think to diligently attend the church of God. I think to gladly receive the word of Christ and sacraments with true faith as gracious provisions from our heavenly Father and to call out to our Father for his mercy and compassion and his grace and his love and his Holy Spirit. I think to rest from our evil works and to do good to others instead to give ourselves to encouraging and serving and providing for others instead of serving ourselves. I think to go to Jesus for rest and to do it all, and this is key, to do it all because we want to, because we believe God and believe that the Sabbath is for our good. We want to. It's not a chore. It's not a burden. J.C. Ryle said, But to give the Sabbath to idleness, pleasure-seeking, or the world is utterly unlawful. It is contrary to the example of Christ. There you have it. It is contrary to the example of Christ and a sin against a plain commandment of God. Let us follow the example of Christ. I didn't work out everything today. I'm not answering all the questions. There are big questions that come with this. But let us simply follow the example of Christ. Dear people of God, beware of the burden of legalism. People of God, beware of the burden of libertinism. And look to Christ to see what the Sabbath is all about. He alone is rest for your soul. Go to him.